Hello and welcome to Black Doc Down, a podcast dedicated to topical discussions, opinions, and humor related to healthcare and the nurse practitioner role. I am your host, W.H.A. Mangana, a family nurse practitioner with a terminal degree who hopes you enjoy your visit to the planet known as Charm City. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm W. Mangana, your host. Welcome. And as usual, strap in, enjoy the ride, and let's get into it. I've decided to go to three topics uh, for each show. A main topic, a thought of the week, and a last rant. Some of y'all will say that the whole thing seems to be a rant, but, you know, that's your opinion. and I think you're probably right, but we'll go with it anyway. So, <laughs> as is our first foray into this particular way of doing things, let's try it out. So, my main topic for today is going to be quiet quitting for NPs. Now, many of you have heard about this uh term as far as employers complaining that people are working up to job spec. In other words, they gave you a, a, a defined list of duties and you're doing only those duties and then you're going home at the end of the day, which I think makes perfect sense, but apparently that's an issue. Um, the problem is for a lot of people, I think it's a control situation where people want to make sure that you're doing everything that they figure you should be doing rather than what they hired you to do in the first place. Now, I'm an old guy and I'm a big fan of unions. And I know sometime over the past couple of decades, unions kind of got a bad rep. And now we're into this whole at-will employment thing, which we're going to touch, touch on in a couple of minutes. Uh, and we try to uh, to avoid the use of unions in many situations. Now, there are certain exceptions to the rule. It's like California has a really strong nurses union. MP union, not so much. But the nurses union in California is hella strong. That's why they have control over staffing and things like that. We need something like that for MPs. But right now, I don't really think we're really doing that much. Um I mean, of course, we have different bodies that, you know, certify us, but I don't think it's that kind of flavor. And as you've seen, we've had different issues with um, other allied providers, but that's another show. What I want to talk about as far as the quiet kidding is going to be a discussion of salaried employment. If you have your own clinic, you know, you're doing your thing or whatever, this may not apply to you. You can still listen and probably laugh along with it, but... This is more for those of us who come in work for somebody. Um, I'm going to relate a few personal anecdotes, but you can also kind of think about your experience with it. Because I had someone talk to me, uh, I think last week, um, about how they were getting harassed about their time as far as clocking in, out, all these kind of different things. Let's touch on clocking in and out to begin with. I understand that if you're paying me an hourly wage. But see, the thing is, and I have friends that have like five jobs, you probably have them too, where it's like some per diem, part-time hustle, whatever, and they're getting some outrageous amount of money because they're working X amount of hours. They're part-time, they're getting no benefits. I can see you pressing me for an adequate clock management scheme at that time. The problem for me is when it's a salary situation and I have an issue because I feel as though People do not understand salary, particularly these employers, especially here on the East Coast where I'm at. Because here's the thing, fam. 
you paying me a salary, which means we agreed to some specified amount. And I'm not talking about that crazy RVU and all this other stuff that people talk about every week that's like talking about, you know, Sanskrit. I'm saying a particular amount, say $115,000 for the year. That's what I'm going to get, which means over the course of those 26 pay periods, I'm getting those X amount of dollars, which matches up that total amount. It don't matter if I come this time, that time, whatever. This is what you got to pay me. Now, a lot of times people will make that original contract offer and then find out that they got too big for their bitches. And this is where I'm going to start talking about some of my experience. Um, in my case, I took a job working for a pain management practice. Don't ask me why. I just thought it was a good idea at the time. So they had, I think, maybe six or seven locations. Problem one, they didn't want to pay me mileage or my gas money. Okay, that's cool, whatever. You know, I want to kind of get the little funky experience. So it wasn't a big thing. I could deal with that. And they told me when I got hired that, A, because I was new to pain management, period, but, but the way they did it with us mid-levels, and I really hate that word. Mid-level just sounds like, doesn't that sound like a really bad like project somewhere? Anyway, so they said uh, mid-level providers would not be seeing new patients uh, or any kind of really complex patient. Um, any patients that had gone through a procedure that was really out of bounds, so to speak, uh, the head muck-a-muck of the practice, the guy who started the practice would be the one seeing them. Okay, so that lasted about a hot minute because as, as it usually happens to me and it may happen for you, once these people figured out I had a, like, you know, a temperature and a pulse and I could chew gum and walk in a straight line, <laughs> I saw everybody under the sun. I rode to every clinic. I mean, and some of these clinics were out there, fam. I mean, I had like a 70-mile commute to a couple of clinics. So I'm driving out there, seeing these people, and then in the middle of the day, you're telling me, hey, I need you to go about 30 miles this way to this other clinic to see these people. Okay, so you made an agreement now to fold in another practice. So I'm seeing this guy's uh, patients who you're supposed to be taking over, who you're ducking and dodging, or patients that you did a procedure on that nobody else in practice does. And then I'm doing a follow-up for them and trying to explain what the heck you did to them and why it's not working the way that you did because of some kind of snake oil procedure. It starts to be, it starts to be a little rough. And then I'm seeing new patients and... I'm trying to evaluate what's going on with them, but some of the situations don't necessarily match what we're doing. So it's a, it's a thing of, do I tell them to stick around? I'll just throw some pain meds at them, or do I direct them to somebody that's really going to fix the issues that I, that I can see? Like you need to go see vascular and do such and such. Anyway, so I'm doing all this kind of stuff. I, I'm, I'm not complaining. I'm working. I'm, you know, bad weather, bad traffic, no lunch. I had to pay for parking at one place. It was a hot mess. And then came the day where I got an email and this email, let me, let me, let me fix my mouth to say this. They had the audacity to tell me they were going to convert me from salary, that little funky piece of salary I was getting to hourly. But it wasn't like it was going to be an hourly thing where the money would actually be better. It's going to be a pay cut because I don't know why. At the, at the time, that's what I said. I, I don't know why. Um, I couldn't figure out why they were doing it. Anyway, so um, one of the dudes who was a partner 
this one doc showed up. He was cool. I was always cool with him. So, you know, I said, can I just talk to you? Went in the patient room with him. I mean, just no patient, just me and him. So, look, you know, uh, bro, can I get a, a recommendation for another job? Because I'm going to have to make another move, chief. This is not working for me. <laughs> he was like, uh, you leaving? Because he knew. Like, I was seeing his people, too. I was doing the grip of work. He said, why are you leaving? I said, look, you know, different things. I gotta, you know, I have to just, just, I'm not feeling it. And the light bulb went on. You could almost see it over his head saying, oh, that email. Yeah, let me make a couple of calls. Don't do anything yet. You know, of course, I'll give you whatever recommendation you want. You know, you're my man, 100 grand, but just let me make the couple of calls and then I'll get back with you. Cool. So um, I'll go see about five more patients, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, lunchtime, the clinic uh, operations manager, shows up she asks you can talk to me you know i'm polite of course you can talk to me we come in have a sit down she says look um i know you got that email but it wasn't meant for you it was actually meant for two other people you work with uh we think you're doing a fine fantastic job so we're gonna go ahead and tear that up you don't have to do anything we're not amending a contract or doing so and so and i was like, okay that sounds good Fam, I wasn't amending nothing to begin with. I'm not going to come on to my wife and tell her that I amended things. My wife would literally put her foot square in my behind if I amend something money-wise. That's just not going to happen. That's a non-starter for me. Um, anyway, so long story short, I continued to work, but I stopped doing some of the excess as far as the whole quiet quitting thing. You know, So I was like, okay, I'm not going to do the extra stuff. I'm not going to do all the, the crazy stuff. I just started saying, no, I, I can't quite make it there today to see your 18 patients. I'm not going to see the patients, you know, who are, who are doing some really crazy stuff and trying to walk you through an MRI uh, interpretation, all that kind of stuff. It's just not going to happen and end up finding another job um, because it was, again, an at-will job. And even though it was a contract, you put that clause in there saying, we can let you go for any reason. Well, in that case, I can go for any reason. And my reason for going is the fact you're trying to play with my money. So <laughs> I had to make a move like x lax and get out of there. Now, I'm not telling you that you need to go ahead and blow off everybody. I am telling you that you need to respect yourself and not let these people play with your money. So because they make an expansion or decide to pursue an expansion that's going to bring in less revenue, than they thought it was going to be and then try to chop off your money when you made the agreement to provide services at that fee. That's not something I'm saying I'm going to get with. You might. I'm hoping that you don't. Also, if you're doing extra stuff, you need to do stuff that's definitely within your scope and stuff you feel comfortable with. In my case, I had a background in some of the stuff so I could at least puzzle through it. But there's a lot of stuff I was doing that I necessarily would say at this point, I wasn't the best person to actually be doing, you know, seeing some of those patients. And once they get to the point where they, they trusted me and, you know, and, and love me as a superstar, I am. I'm joking. I'm not a superstar. I mean, part time. But the point is, once it got to the point they trusted me and knew I wasn't going to sell them just a, a, a bill of goods. And I could say, look, this is why you're having this issue. This is probably what we can do for you. But I can't promise this is going to fix all your problems. We were Gucci. But you need to build that kind of rapport with your patients. You know what I mean? You can't just throw you into the shark, uh, you know, the, the, the shark pen or whatever, and just have you get to work. You need to make sure it's a thing where you actually have a, a, a believability from the people you're going to be treating. We all know that. 
So uh, that's my first thought about it for the week. And you can kind of tell me if you feel that's totally wildly off base, but that's where I'm with the whole quiet quitting and salary employment. My main thought of the week um, is linked to a Medscape article I read. And Medscape blows me up. I don't know about you, but I get a glut of notifications a week about different things. Um, so I'd seen this article headline pop up, I feel like four or five times, and I finally cracked it open. And I don't know how to say it. You read something that's kind of soul crushing because it, it relates to stuff that you've dealt with or stuff you are dealing with or you've seen. Anyway, the, the headline was that um, uh, a young lady in Belgium chose to be euthanized at the age of 23. Uh, apparently, she was a survivor of the Belgium terror attacks in 2016. I don't know if you remember those. And the trauma stemming from those attacks, you know, what she endured, what she dealt with, became so debilitating um, that she got to the point, I mean, she she already had, as I, as I read on, she already had some, some issues beforehand, but that particular attack just exacerbated things and made it even worse for her, worse and worse and worse, so she got to the point she just couldn't deal with it. I mean, she they, they literally, to get this process done, they had two uh, Belgian... I guess psychiatrists sign off on the application for euthanasia stating that her issues were that severe um, and, and, and that therapy, medication, nothing's really helping. It's not It's based on the things of it's not going to get better. We agree. If she chooses this option, we're with her. And um, I mean, her family knew about it too. And then she, uh, she was euthanized at the age of 23. Um, and I'm just, I, I guess, I don't know. I guess I was thinking about it and it just sounded so, I mean, the stupidest thing would say, would say it was final. Obviously it's final. She, she was euthanized. You don't come back from being euthanized. But it's just, it's it's just that option. I'm a veteran. And I think the number is what they're, 22 veterans commit suicide a day, something like that. Um, I have patients that have told me horrendous stories about domestic violence, about you know, the, 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 the murder of their relatives, um, the, the social issues they deal with, sexual violence. I mean, just everything under the sun. And, and people deal with a lot of stuff in this country, around the world. And I start thinking about this, the traumas that we deal with. There's another article I read that was talking about um, generational trauma being passed down to your descendants. I think it was, was it epigenetics? Epigenetics? I'll get more in depth on that one. Um, but I started thinking about, because one, one article did reference the slave trade and how that's that's still going as far as um, uh, different deficiencies we have um, for African-Americans uh, from a physical standpoint. Also talked about people who were um, the descendants of Holocaust survivors and that they might have increased levels of cortisol. I mean, there's also crazy stuff going on. My point is people are dealing with a lot of trauma out there and we're seeing that to a greater degree as different uh, issues happen with the economy or uncertainty um, in people's just day-to-day -day functioning. And it gets to a point where you ask yourself, what can I do about it? I I'm not a psych NP, you know. I 
can I recommend, you know, going to see one for my patients? Yeah, but that's not my specialty. I, I do family, you know, and the thing that I've noticed is on my, the population I deal with, the underserved population that I'm, I'm dealing with is in, in addiction medicine is there's a significant amount of trauma. That's not to say that you're not having the same amount of trauma with your patients out there in Boise, Idaho. It's just saying I deal with that a lot. And I'm thinking, when is it, when is this trauma getting to the point where people feel that this is an option? Now, we already have the problem with the suicide thing and I touched on the veteran uh, standpoint. Um, but on this side of the pond, we don't necessarily have that as a state sanctioned thing. I remember, you know, back in the day with Kovorkian and they were trying to, you know, bring that into effect as far as a legislative movement. But I don't know how, how far that's progressed, but dag on it, you know, it's just to think about the fact that we have this degree of issue, uh, sorry, with psychological issues in this country and this lack of support because for my psycho people out there, they're not a lot of you. And then a lot of you are taking like cash payments only. And for people like mine who have like suboptimal insurance or no insurance, you just can't find anybody or can't get a way to get in uh, because they can't pay for it. And I, I, I wonder how, how many people have this degree of issue, but it just haven't been diagnosed or, or, just been seen in general for it, man. It's just, it's just kind of overwhelming to think about it. So I, I've been thinking about that article a lot this week, and I'm going to try to make a significant push with my patients to ensure that they are assessed for trauma and any kind of psychological issues stemming from that because 23 is, is, is young. And I know a lot of my brothers and sisters who are veterans have chosen that way out too. And, uh, that's a, a tough road for them. I mean, I've, I've dealt with it myself. I came up rough. I've had some really bad experiences and I deal with it, but I deal with it in my way and I'm wired this way. I'm not expecting everybody to be wired this way. And I don't know that that's necessarily healthy because me dealing with it and putting out that facade to the world that I'm happy and I'm high functioning and everything is groovy is not the best because at some point you need to, you need to address what's hurting you, what's ailing you. You can't move forward without addressing the things that are holding you back. And I'm not saying you need to make that part of your daily existence where every day is a woe is me. And I remember the time they stole my lunch money at PS 53 when I was four years old. But you need to understand that some of the things that are going to hold you back are your inability to to deal with the trauma and the stresses that came from that. You know, it's, it's at some point, man, you, you, you don't want to step into that darkness because you felt that was your last option. I don't want that for anybody. I definitely want that for my patients. So, sorry if I got a little off key and it probably wasn't that funny a segment, but that's just, you know, the thoughts I'm having on that. So, this last segment is going to be what we call the last rant. Uh, I hope that I don't rant. Probably the last section was a rant, but this should be a little better. But I want to talk about code switching today. <laughs> so, in a lighter note, um, so my office is right next to, um, kind of a, I would say a spare office. Is this a unit, uh, office that they're using for folks on, um, this Hopkins study for hep C, um, 
and people that know me know I have feel some type of way about Johns Hopkins, but that doesn't have anything to do with this story. It's just I'm just telling you who's in that office. So, <laughs> so uh, there's a doctor, uh, the overall head of the study, and I guess he has different uh, people, um, university students or whatever, who are doing the data collection or what have you for these uh, patients coming in for these Hep C meds. And I guess if they don't uh, reach the criteria for it, then it goes to the actual um, uh, inpatient clinic to get deal with, uh, to get dealt with or whatever. Um, long story short, I'm pretty much the only person in my whole building, other than the the Hopkins people, and they only come like ten minutes a week, who sees patients face to face in my office. I guess because of COVID, um, so everybody else is doing the whole tele thing. As I said, I work in an inner city clinic. Um, I'm from the same background, fam. Um, my patients do not always speak the king's English. <laughs> my patients may sometimes use profanity. Um, my patients are good people, and I love my patients. And my patients will come in, and I mean, during the daytime as a whole, I have my music on. Music helps me chart because I do a lot of charting. So, you know, I put on that Bluetooth and I play a little music and I enjoy myself, you know, and people come by and we chop it up and so-and-so, but my patients will come, they'll call me, I'll go downstairs, get them, bring upstairs, you know, we do our exam or whatever we're doing with it, you know, we're, and we're, we're, we're talking, we're talking the same way we would talk on the street. That doesn't mean that we're, we're being wildly inappropriate. It just means we're talking in that kind of, that particular dialogue, dialect. Um, there's nothing wrong with that dialect. And people may try to hate on it, but black people talk to each other the way we talk to each other. And we are just black people. This isn't a situation where we're doing some crazy stuff. We're just in there just having a good time and having that conversation. And I will tell you, because of that in a, that ability to get down to that level and talk, I get information out of my patients. You know, I'm not going to get there and use $15 words to explain to somebody why cocaine is having an adverse effect <laughs> on their heart, skin, what have you. This is what you're doing. This is what you need to stop and explain it to them in a manner that they can process it and say, hey, I see what you're saying. Let's put a, a, a halt on this. But people who are not from the area people who are still hiding behind the mantle of academia, such as those Hopkins people, whatever, sometimes feel some type of way about the conversations. I can't change and I won't change. You know, that's, that's not what I'm going to do. I'm linking to the fact of you may have a different dialect. You may speak Spanish to your patients, Tagalog, whatever the case may be. You know, you have to find a way to get by through the day. And yes, I can code switch and start speaking like this and make sure that we are very much in line with this way of new thinking. Yeah, I'm not doing up this circuit population. So we all have to code switch. I definitely have to code switch. And some people do feel some type of way about it and try to, you know, they'll try to look at you kind of side eye. But at the end of the day, you have to do what's comfortable for you and you have to do what's going to make you a better provider and what's going to make your patients trust you and believe in you and want to come back and do the right thing. And if that means you have to talk to somebody about the football game for five minutes, whatever, or 
the fun things you can do with Popeye's chicken, that's what you do. Because you can all you take that and then you can circle it back to a discussion of why this medication is going to work for you and why I'm going to give it to you today. Okay, so that's my rant. I know this is a little choppy. I'm going to keep on working on this, and we'll, I, I say that every week. But we are going to get better with this. So thank you for listening. Um, I appreciate you. If nobody else says that this week, let me tell you that I do really appreciate you and I respect you and I hope you have a good week. You take care.